ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the gun racks, North Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology's official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper. Folks call me Joey, and with me we have one Drew Poplin. Drew Poplin is here with us as he frequently is these days. We're going to talk about something that's going to be a lot of fun, I think, for me and not necessarily for you, which is always what you want coming out of your podcast. We're going to be talking about the 40 Smith & Wesson and why it sucks eggs. Why Whoa. it can go jump in a lake Whoa. And, and why it can yeet itself into a river. The 40 Smith and Wesson is dead. Long live nine millimeter dynamic hollow points and 45 ACP and maybe even the 30 super carry. No, I'm just kidding. That's a heated Joey upper is incendiary today. We're coming in hot. And you know why we're coming in hot? Why? Because I am powered by zip fizz. Zip fizz is, is, Hey, don't look at me like that. We have moved from one episode to the next after about a 20-minute break. And I went out and got myself more Zip Fizz, which actually might explain the vertigo I was complaining about yeah. <laughs> about 10 minutes ago. Um, it's very strong. Lots of B12 and caffeine, lots of electrolytes, no sugar. You take two of them in a day. It's considered a complete multivitamin, according to them. Uh, this is not a Sonoran Desert Institute endorsement. It is simply what fuels my rage from day to day. You should get a Zip Fizz, Drew. I don't want to be angry like you. It's way more fun than you would think. Because if you get into the zone enough, you forget that you're angry. And remember that you're better than everyone else. And everything you do that day proves it. I'm taking that silence as you're ordering it right now. That's my best guess as to what you've got going on right now. Let's do some Drew's Clues, everyone. Let's do Drew's Clues. Sonoran Desert Institute does not endorse Zipfins. Mm-hmm. Joey, Joey, all does. thumbs upper, does. Drew Poplin will not fall into line of the inevitable part of Zipfins victory. <laughs> I'm sure I'll I'll relent soon enough. Anyway, last week's answer was the RK-62. This week, we are talking about a triple-action semi-automatic handgun. Barrel length, 105 millimeters. It's chambered in 9 by 19 parabellum and was introduced in 1989 in South Korea. It's good stuff. This is one of my favorite guns out there. Um, the RK-62, for those of you who are uninitiated, I actually had to look it up myself, so no judgment here. It's also very well known as the Valmet and uh, is considered by many to be the best iteration of the AK platform, at least of the 20th century. The Galil, if you want to call that an AK variant or descendant, and I think a lot of people do, and the Velmet kind of vie for supremacy there. They're both really well-made firearms. So Velmet's a cool one. 
Yeah, I saw something about it about the Galil sort of taking inspiration from it, but yeah. I but, I couldn't find like it being sourced, so I didn't want to put it as a clue because I was like, uh, yeah, the uh, the Galil Ace has pretty forwardly gotten a lot of taken a lot of notes from development. It's just a really great gun. So Finland and Israel do share the same flag colors. So, you know, they do. And they're both correctly worried about their territorial sovereignty a lot of the time. So they have motivation to make sure that they are uh, operating with the best small arm. Do they still use the Balmet? Hold on. Let's let's learn something. List of equipment for the Finnish army. They're still using the RK-62. Oh, that's cool. I love that. There's a few variants of it. R62 TP, 6276, 6276 TP, 62M1, M2, M3. There are 350,000 of them, this is according to Wikipedia, in their hands. They've also got the SCAR um, and the 95 TP, which is, is it appears to be the modernized version of the RK62, but that's just kind of me eyeballing it. Then there's a couple others. There's the RK56 TP, which is kind of interesting. They reportedly have 100,000 of those guys, which is a Chinese iteration of the AK. Very interesting stuff. And then also East Germany purchase 100 uh, RK72s, which is an East German AKM model. Didn't mean to dive down this rabbit hole, but all of that is, is very interesting stuff. So I stand behind it. Yeah, I, I usually stand behind anything Finnish. Uh, they tend to know what they're doing. And they that... do. You know what the big difference is between Sweden and Finland? Hit me with it. Midsummer isn't based in Finland, which probably makes it safe to visit. That's fair. That's fair. But I don't know. I would ask the uh, Russians in World War II about that. Yeah, that's oh, valid. Not safe to invade, safe to visit. <laughs> anyway... That's the velvet. Definitely what we were supposed to be talking about today. I have a, a clues of my own. We're going to call them Joey's clues. Joey's clues. Yeah, we're going to do them every week for forever. Let's guess what Zipfizz flavor Joey is drinking today. You get one hint each week. It tastes like fruit punch. It tastes like fruit punch. All right, next week we'll have an update <laughs> for Joey's clues. What Zipfizz is Joey drinking? It tastes like fruit punch. Send in your, your answers to marketing at sdi.edu with your best guess. Still waiting on someone to take us up on the uh, root beer. Dude, it'll happen. I'm going to put it in the garage so it's nice and warm. Yeah, that's how that's how you like your root beer. Yeah. 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 The way God intended root yeah, beer to it's, be. Yeah, it's more of a root port. Mm. But yes. Aged to perfection. Aged to perfection. Just like Food Lion does with everything. We might also, want to focus on the task at hand. Yeah. I was oh, going to no, say, no. aged to perfection, much like Sonoran Desert Institute. Sonoran Desert Institute School of Firearms Technology and School of Unmanned Technology. Both wonderful uh, institutions and ready for you to come study with us. While we may not be aged to complete perfection, we are uh, continually working every day to deliver a quality education to our students and talking with our 
graduates and having a great time with them as well. SDI.edu can come check out our three programs, one of which in the School of Unmanned slash Uncrewed Technology. It's the C-U-T-A-S, Certificate in Unmanned Technology Aerial Systems. We have two uh, programs in the School of Fire Technology. We have the CFTG, that's Certificate in Fire Technology Gunsmithing. And then we have the ASFT, which is the Associate of Science in Firearms Technology. And while we may not be aged to perfection, we are aged to a lot of fun, hopefully, for you. If you're interested in the world of firearms technology, uh, come visit us at SDI.edu, talk with an admissions rep, uh, learn a little bit more about us, and come join the Sonoran Desert Institute family. All right, let's get into this bad boy. I'm excited for it. We dance today on the grave of the 40 Smith & Wesson cartridge. We take the 40 Smith & Wesson cartridge and we throw it into the garbage. Don't actually do that. It's probably super dangerous. But the 40 Smith & Wesson cartridge uh, has had a pretty decent run. But the consensus seems to be, and I'm actually going to subtract my opinion from this, but I just looked up 40 Smith & Wesson to get some source material here. And the ones I found off the bat is... Uh, from gunsandammo.com, 40 Smith & Wesson, nearly obsolete, comma, can it make a comeback? NRA, shootingillustrated.com, is the 40 Smith & Wesson dead? Allforshooters.com, is the 40 Smith & Wesson really dead? Guns Magazine, 40 Smith & Wesson, dead buck or best buy? And we're going to talk about the origins a little bit here and just cover the base of the origins of the 40 Smith & Wesson and why it doesn't make any dang sense now. All right, this is going to be, this reading right here is from Guns and Ammo. Jeremy Stafford is the guy who wrote this. So following the 1986 Miami-Dade shootout, the FBI sought an improved round for its agents in the form of 10 millimeter, which quickly evolved to the 40 Smith & Wesson in 1990. FBI had worked with Smith & Wesson and Winchester Ammo to develop the Smoke 40 Smith & Wesson, which was meant to be a slightly reduced pressure version of the 10 millimeter auto. 10 millimeters is an extremely powerful cartridge. We're not quoting him anymore. This is just me talking. But it's also a fair amount to handle. So FBI ballisticians, this is back to Jeremy, have fallen in love with a 10 millimeter after tests revealed that the 180 grain bullet pushed to 850 to 950 feet per second resulted in the terminal ballistics they desired without the attendant felt recoil of the typical 10 millimeter round featuring a 180 gram projectile moving between 1100 and as much as 1300 feet per second. Smith and Wesson's engineers figured out that by cutting down the 10 millimeter case from 0.992 inches to 0.850 inches, they were able to eliminate the, all of the dead air space while delivering the FBI's preferred ballistics. And here's an interesting thing here that Stafford notes. Uh, the 40 Smith & Wesson permitted Smith & Wesson to use pistol frames that had been used previously with 9mm. So instead of having to kick up to a 45 frame or create its own proprietary frame, they were able to just take 9mm and repurpose them, uh, which I have to imagine was wildly cheaper for them. Uh, which is great. And uh, they used modified double stack magazines 
so it's interesting stuff. The 40 Smith and Wesson made its way around for a little bit. And the, the advertising concept was that it was around that could, and this is right from Jeremy, hit like a 45 and carry like a nine. And that's why it was so prevalent for a brief period in the late 1990s, he says, the 40 was king. And then later on, some, some interesting stuff here. I'm going to go right back to quote mode here. Then something happened after it became king. A clamor for more police transparency led departments to track details about officer-involved shootings. With the boom and data collection effect jumped out, that was void of hyperbole. The difference in effectiveness between the major service and duty cartridges was minuscule. Cue the air horns. When analyzing similar mid-thoracic, I think, hits, the 9mm, 357 SIG, 40 Smith & Wesson, 10mm, 45 ACP all produced about the same real-life results. The myth of the one-shot stop caliber was dispelled. Short of a cranio-ocular cavity hit, most bad guys had to be struck at least two times before their aggressive, dangerous actions were stopped. If two hits of nine millimeters going to yield the same results as two hits of either a 40 or 45, why bother issuing handguns chambered for bigger calibers? That's the root of this whole thing. Jeremy Stafford does a really good job of, of summing the whole issue in the one paragraph. Um, it's so interesting. And then the big thing that a lot of us were around here for, I mean, a lot of us were around in the 90s, but in 2015, the FBI did a study, well, finished a study, uh, showing that the modern 9 millimeter defensive loads, and we're talking about all the different types that have evolved in recent years. Lord knows there's all sorts of them out there. If you go to your local gun store, you're going to find, well, hopefully you're going to find quite a few different variations of nine millimeter uh, defensive loads available to you. Even now, uh, where our uh, ammo is more expensive, it's, I mean, it's back on shelves mostly now, so that's less of an issue. But all that to say, the nine millimeter defensive loads were effective for defensive use, which made the 40 largely irrelevant. A lot of places are transferring back to nine millimeter, a lot of uh, government entities. But here's the shtick. There's a bunch of 40 out there already. So what do we do about it? And the answer has been keep issuing it for a lot of people, a lot of entities, right? Because it's cheap and you can get your hands on it. I remember in the middle of 2020 when ammo was just, when uh, in 2020 when ammo was non-existent, that 40 was the only thing I reliably saw on the shelves. There is value to that. But that is the full arc of the 40 Smith & Wesson. Huge thank you to Jeremy Stafford for that. That's why people are talking about it possibly being dead, though. When it comes to current firearms, objectively, there's nothing particularly wrong with 40 Smith & Wesson. It's that it doesn't, it doesn't do anything necessarily right relative to 9mm ammunition. Uh, the capacity is better than 45 ACP, so that's definitely a point in its favor. But if you're looking at defensive loads, 9mm 
and 40 Smith and Wesson, there's not enough of a difference to appeal to government entities, particularly down the road. So essentially, if you're investing in your future, if you're buying a firearm now, that firearm, there's not really any need for it to be in 40. But if you own a 40, you can kind of take advantage of a depressed market for 40 Smith and Wesson. Uh, a lot of ammo uh, is around, and uh, occasionally it's even cheaper than nine. Although I see Jeremy Stafford wrote that. I have not seen that to be the case. I, I would imagine in the future that may be the case. 40 definitely produces more recoil. Uh, I've complained about it being snappy on the podcast a few times. I've shot 40. Actually, I don't know if you remember the Tales from the Range episode we did, not just individual Tales from the Range, but I talk about when I was uh, hit by a ricochet. Uh, that ricochet was chambered in 40 Smith & Wesson from a compact firearm. And uh, I remember how snappy and unpleasant that was. Shot a car in 40 and could not believe that other people shot these firearms and thought uh, it was a, a fair investment of their time. It's just not, in my experience, pleasant. And you, you're going to have to put more effort into control recoil. And yeah, it's just not great. Drew, what do you know about the 40 caliber? From everything you've told uh, me about it uh, just now, it sounds like it's the grunge or the Brit pop of calibers. Interesting take. Why is it the Brit pop of calibers? They were both started in the 90s and they both kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, no, like it was a big is kind of a big thing for a while and like people are thinking oh is this the next like big thing you know is this the new british invasion and then people realized that there were better bands than oasis yeah and then of course later evanescence so well is evan evanescence even british no or are you just saying they are you just saying they're better than all of british pop yeah a hot take Hot take for me, Nickelback is better than Oasis. I had to stop what I was going to say from coming out of my mouth in in response to that. But Did Oasis ever have a song where they had the lyrics, I'll have the quesadilla, ha-ha? Look it up, folks. Listen to the song Rockstar by Nickelback. It's and a I'm, weird song. Yeah, and I'm not saying Nickelback is a good band. I'm not saying that, but they are better than Oasis. They do a pretty good job of covering Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, they actually have a really good Metallica cover. Interesting. So we're digressing a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, the, uh, here, are, here are the facts versus here are the opinions, all right? 40 Smith & Wesson can offer better capacity than a 45 ACP. That's a fact. Fact number two, 40 Smith & Wesson versus 9mm, in terms of defensive loads, there are not enough differences to decidedly point one in the direction of 40 Smith & Wesson. That's point number two. Point number three is that the major entity, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, that precipitated the creation of the 40 Smith & Wesson is moving back, if not has moved back completely, 
0.29 millimeter. Those are, those are big, significant issues, or not issues, but points here, talking points. The other things you want to keep in mind, 40 Smith & Wesson recoils more. That is a fact. The opinions that come from that is that it's too unpleasant to shoot, or it's uh, preparing to accommodate felt recoil is harder to do there, which I guess is kind of objectively true, but you have to decide if it's too true for you. If your felt recoil is so much that you are unwilling to continue the use of it. The next point is that 40 Smith and Wesson will likely become cheaper before it becomes more expensive, unless there's some sort of, well, actually, no, I'll qualify it by saying relative to other rounds, it will probably be cheaper before it becomes more expensive. That makes it interesting for the budget-minded shooter out there. If you are looking to own a firearm for the long term, with a capital L, 40 Smith & Wesson may be harder to get your hands on 10 years from now. Certainly will be harder to get your hands on than 9mm, uh, but it may still be kicking around. These are the big talking points for this guy. I can't stand 40 Smith & Wesson. I think it takes all the bad parts about handgun shooting and rolls it into one cartridge without adding anything of value afterwards. Those are kind of my opinions on the 40 Smith & Wesson. The, I don't think it's dead yet. A lot of these places are asking, is it dead? No, it's not dead. But it's definitely no longer king like it once was. And it definitely is not something that's trending upward. So we're living in the decline of the 40 Smith and Wesson, and I don't see any way that suddenly it turns it around. Nine millimeter is simply too prolific, and 45 ACP, well, I would argue, is not necessarily, like I carry a 45 as an EDC, but I still don't know if it's necessary as a cartridge. But if you are looking for a fatter round, uh, you got one. And if you're looking for a slimmer round with a higher capacity, you've got that one too, which leaves 40 Smith & Wesson kind of in purgatory. And uh, it's very hard to thrive when you're in purgatory. That's my hot take on the 40 Smith & Wesson. I find it ironic. I feel like just with my little metaphor, I actually ended up being a little bit harsher towards it. When you proclaimed that we were going to dance on the graves of the 40 Smith & Wesson, let listen it was king and it has been deposed i think that that counts it's not dead but it's it's old all right it's, it's a little long in the tooth the other wolves in the pack are, are challenging it on occasion to see if they can take over and uh one day i will sunder its bones it's like the 90s dallas cowboys uh, king in their time in the 90s, but still trying to profit off them being good 30 years ago now. How about to have 40s? Oh, yeah. And they need to accept the fact that they're no longer America's caliber. They haven't been in some time. And uh, they need to move out of the way for the perennial dynasties of the Kansas City 9mm, and maybe even the Tampa Bay 45s. You are a magnificent man, and I, I like appreciate that metaphor. As a, as a lyrical gangster. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
All right. Well, well that was uh, fun. Yeah. Uh, Want to do some Tales from the Range? I feel like we should do some Tales from the Range. Yeah. Okay. So this comes from uh, the firing line. This is by Bob Arino, uh, and he likes acronyms. Shortly after I acquired my carry piece and permit, I headed to the local range with an assortment of JHPs to function test and see which one I liked. Mind you, I checked to see if the range had any rules against doing so, and I was in the clear. I was shooting away when the guy next to me flinches and claims that a piece of my bullet just came back and hit him. I, I apologized, even though it wasn't my fault, and told him it happens from time to time to me, too. I was shooting... Core bonds at the time, loud and flashy. When he poked his head into my stall and asked if I was shooting some kind of quote hot load, I said, "Yeah, they're core bonds and they're pretty spicy." Why? He looked at the box on the table and proceeded to freak out. You're shooting hollow points. Hollow points. He stomped out to the guy's counter, and I could see his arms slightly. And as he explained in a very animated fashion to me the horrors that were happening on lane 12. I saw the range master shrug. Mr. Freakout comes stomping back in. Hurley packs up his gear while muttering, loud enough for me to hear with an ears on, how stupid it is to shoot hollow points and huffed off to the land of safe and sane FMJs. I just ignored him and kept shooting. On my way out, I asked the range masters again just to make sure it was okay to shoot AHPs, and he said, sure. I asked him how Mr. Freakout I asked him about Mr. Freakout and said, and he said, yep, he had his BVDs and a bunch over the hollow points and complained they weren't too loud. I asked what he said to the guy and he replied, I told him not to listen so loud. Needless to say, I still go to that range and sometimes I even shoot hollow points. I've never heard of anyone complain about shooting hollow points in a range. Yeah. Granted, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing did the brass just like maybe like, you got me, dude. That yeah, one, I was. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. Well, I was just thinking, like, did the brass like fly out and like maybe hit the guy? Because the guy's like, like maybe I've, I've definitely been tagged by brass many a time. And yeah, that's pretty common. Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, but that was Barbarino. Barbarino. Guys, if you have any experience with that, feel free to send us an email at marketing at sdi.edu. We'd love to talk with you about that. Really interesting stuff. And also full Karens at the range. The interesting thing, I should probably stop saying interesting, but the interesting thing is that people come in, they'll have a question about firearms technology that they don't, that they've answered online, right? Or something to that effect. So they come in positive of something that's not correct and then all of a sudden you're stuck i remember i have a uh kentucky rifle muzzleloader and uh, i had been told by some this was a few years ago now but i had been assured by the person i bought it from that uh, it was uh good, uh, to, good go to go with modern rounds not the ball ammo that you would think of with muzzle loaders but i said word and uh, he said pellets too were good the black powder pellets as opposed to loose grain i brought both of those uh percussion cap hit no fire i had to use compressed air to get that thing unloaded 
and also I looked like an absolute dummy at the range. So people come in with preconceptions of, of how their experience is going to be. And someone has sworn up and down to them that something's really important that super isn't. And, uh, and we all look silly. So keep an open mind when you're at the range. And if uh, your RSO says that something is safe or not safe, nine times out of 10, they know what they're talking about. So shut up I can <laughs> and listen. So yeah, good tale from the range. It's, it's a little bit of a thinker too uh, at the end. For now, well, one more thing. Uh, Sonoran Desert Institute online school, come join us. Accredited by the DEAC. And uh, we are a school focused on farms technology and unmanned technology. We would love to have you come be a part of one of our programs here. And uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Feel free to talk to our admissions team. And uh, yeah, absolutely love for you to be a part of the SDI family. We'll talk to you soon at school here. But for now, that is the gun rack. Have fun out there. We'll see you at the range. Hollow points. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.